This is the Real Estate Shop, where each episode will bring you a top industry expert to share their current programs or projects that are making an impact in our communities today. Be sure to check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to today's episode of the Real Estate Shop. On today's episode, we're lucky to have Christopher Donald, Executive Director and CEO of the DC Housing Finance Agency. How are you doing today, Christopher? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. It's good to see you all. Good, good. Great. We're going to just jump right in and let's get started. Uh, first off, tell us about your background and how you chose housing as a focal point of your career. Wow. So that's a long, torturous story. Um, if you had asked me whether I was going to be in housing a long, long time ago, I would have told you no. Like, I had no idea that this is where I was going to land. Uh, and in fact, I thought I was going to end up in the political realm. Thankfully, I had more sense than that and got out alive. Uh, early on in my career, but I fell into finance. You know, I always loved numbers. They always made sense to me. Uh, and when I was a little kid, um, at one point, uh, I thought I was going to be an architect and an architect and a minister and a this and a that, but the built space was always really attractive to me. Uh, and so I did the finance thing for a little bit, um, left the country for about 14 months to travel around the world and then came back and Thought I was going to go to divinity school. Um, and finally, my friends were like, hey, man, you don't have a trust fund. You need to get a job. So I started <laughs> organizing tenants uh, to exercise their right of first refusal here in the district. And it was an interesting time. It was, you know, the early 2000s. Uh, lots of buildings were converting to condos at that time. That was a hot condo craze. And I was training tenants and actually met my wife doing that. Uh, found my first home that we bought, a condo, doing that. And it was interesting as we sat around the table, there was always this one guy at the table with a calculator and a spreadsheet. And my thing is, what is he doing, right? Like, what part does he play? And that was usually the development consultant or the developer. I was like, yo, that's really very interesting to me because it's a convergence of these things that I'm really passionate about, which is real estate, which is politics, and which is finance. And they kind of came into this space that was very cool to me. And it, and it seemed to be finally one of those moments. My father always told me, he was like, look, as a young black man, you got two responsibilities. Number one, you got a responsibility to give back to the community. And then number two, you need to figure out how to make a million dollars before you're 30 years old. And for most of my life, I was like, dad, those two things don't go together. Like I'm confused, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, how to have success and purpose kind of coincide. And I saw the opportunity uh, to do well and to do good in this business. So it was really, really attractive to me. Um, and I, I've really had a ball doing it for like the last couple of decades, just having an impact on the world around me, uh, doing that in such a way that it has had a profound impact on uh, the communities that I've been in. I've learned a lot. Um, it's been different every day, right? No day is the same. Uh, and you have an ability to be super creative, uh, super uh, numbers oriented, and can just do a lot of cool stuff. So that that's kind of how I stumbled into this place. You went away for 14 months. Where'd you go, man? Like, how'd you decide on where to go? <laughs> yeah. So what happened is this was when I thought I was going to go to divinity school, and I had never left the country before. And so one of the things that I thought would be cool to do when I left was ask a question about who is God and how does God manifest himself uh, in other places, right? Is there just one God or is there 
Uh-huh. Are there many guys of, you know, all who reach, reach back to the same uh, person, right? And so I, I did Europe for about three months, primarily like Eastern and Southern Europe. I wanted to get away from kind of the mainstays that everybody went to. Yep. So I was in uh, Hungary. I was in Poland. Um, I went to the Netherlands. Um, I was in Austria, but only for a day uh, for historical <laughs> reasons. Um, it's Spain and, and Turkey uh, and Croatia. Um, and then went to the continent, uh, hopped wow. to Morocco while I was in Spain, but did Egypt, Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, uh, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Tanzania, yeah. Ethiopia, and then went through the Middle East, Israel and Jordan, and then hit the Far wow. East. Uh, India, Thailand, and China. And so in all of these places, um, I will say, man, I, I never felt vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. And I was out here with a backpack and a dream, right? Never was robbed, um, was able to sit with people who I didn't know, had people who I didn't know put me up and let me live with them. That's Just, awesome. it was an, an amazing experience. And I would meet people in one part of the world, like I met these two cats, uh, when I was in Prague and they were like, they were Croatians. They were like, you got to go to our country, right? And mm-hmm. I was like, well, why, why am I going to go to your country? And they was like, it's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I show up in VAR and it's it's like this island. And as you're riding into the island mm-hmm. or you're in the water, the rocks kind of come up out of the water like a James Bond movie. Right. Uh, and really funny story. So I hit the ground in VAR. I have no idea where I'm going. I take the ferry across. And so I'm on a bus sitting next to this cat. And I was like, yo, where are you going? Like, where are you mm. going to stay? And he was like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, I have a referral from one of my, my people. And there's this house. I was like, well, do you mind if I tag along to see if they have extra room, right? You're wild boy, man. So we, we show up. There's one bed, right? And I was like, well, look, man, I'm willing to share the bed if you are. And he was like, yeah, I'm good. So basically, I took the place that he had. Uh, and he went and found another place and I didn't do it deliberately, but then I had a place to stay. So um, one of those those random moments uh, where you just kind of fall into things. Um, but yeah, they, they were just all of these moments um, that were really amazing. And the biggest thing I would say is that, you know, when I was in, when I was in college, I fashioned myself a little militant, you know, Pan-Africanist back to Africa. And I got to the continent and I was like, I'm an American right? Proud of the USA. And it was really because there was an appreciation for our country at that moment and all that it meant for all of the opportunity, right? Of all the things that we could do and meeting people around the world and seeing that there were a lot of folks who just don't have an opportunity to choose their destiny, right? Mm -hmm. And so no matter how you come to this, no matter all of the problems that we may have from time to time as a country, right? There's still so much opportunity and freedom in our country that people around the world long for. And it gave me a deep appreciation uh, for being an American. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that experience. So you went overseas, Christopher, learned different cultures, newfound appreciation, you come back to the States and how do you grow your career to become executive director? Um, Well, when I first came back, I was like, look, I wanna figure out how to work for six months and travel for six months, right? So I started watching Carlton Sheets and all these late night guys who talk about flipping real estate and buying real estate with no money down. Uh, And that didn't really work for me. 
Um, and so I got into the tenant organizing, as I said earlier, because I needed to, to have a gig, but didn't imagine that my career would evolve in the way that it did. So when I first started organizing, I was more interested in the single family side because you may or may not be familiar with this, but some 20 years ago, the district used to have this program where they would sell you a house for a dollar and you could rehab that house. And they had houses that were down here off of U Street on W Street, which are like these three, four story brown zones that you could go in and buy and have, you know, those places then were $100,000. Today, they're over a million, right? And so I imagine being a program administrator for something like that. Multifamily didn't make a lot of sense to me. But once I started doing the organizing, I saw kind of the opportunity to do development. I headed across the river into Arlington uh, and started working for a big nonprofit called AHC. Uh, cut my teeth there for about three or four years. And then I raised uh, money to start a company for the first time. I went out on my own and my timing was perfect. I just had my first child and it was 2007. And if you remember in 2008, the whole world kind of crashed in a particular real estate, right? Uh, and so I had to quickly recalibrate and come back in. I went back out to Northern Virginia to work for APA, uh, the Arlington Partnership for Affordable Housing. Uh, for another couple of years, and then left there, came into town to work for a really successful uh, Black real estate developer, Bo McKeady, um, and caught Bo as he was kind of on the rise, spent nice. some time working with him, um, left there, went up to uh, the Housing Authority of Montgomery County Housing Opportunities Commission, um, spent some time there and then went back out on an um, entrepreneurial stint and then ended up here doing finance. And so I had a goal when I started in the development space. I wanted to have an opportunity to work around the region and each mm -hmm. of the major jurisdictions to just get a feel for how things were done in each of them, right? What were the differences? What were the similarities? What were the challenges, right? And so I actually got a chance to develop that footprint professionally. So that was really uh, great for me career-wise. But I never imagined being back in finance because I was really a deal junkie, right? Like I love to put deals together. I love to be on the acquisition side, right? Um, I could see things as they could be. And so the adrenaline rush, right? The excitement that you get from pursuing deals was really um, very cool. So I moved into finance here at the agency and what I quickly found out is that I could see 10 to 15 deals a year, right? And I was like, oh my God, right? That's just like nirvana. So, but not only that, because of the time that I had spent out in the rest of the world, I actually knew most of the people who were coming in front of me. And that was really cool too, because I could quickly suss out, you know, at times what they were up to, how they thought about things, right? Um, anticipate where they were going. And then, you know, as you're negotiating and you're going through a process, just have a lot of fun with people who you had spent, side, spent time with on the other side of the table, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that was really very intoxicating, in fact, right? Just being on that side as we grew this business and started doing more direct lending versus conduit lending, um, that was really exciting. And so... I did that for about three years. And then um, we had a tragic loss in my predecessor. And I ended up being in this seat. 
And I had, you know, I've been telling people, I had no idea what my path would be, right? Like, if, if you had asked me, you know, 10, 20 years ago, where will you end up? I would not have thought to say that I would end up running a housing finance agency, right? Which I effectively refer to as a bank at this point in my career. It's just not something that I conceived of doing, but the opportunity presented itself uh, and I've kind of grown into it over the last three years, right? It required um, lots of growth for me in terms of leadership, right? Understanding how to lead an organization and not manage. You know, Todd used to say a lot of times, there's a difference between a leader and a manager, right? And, you know, leaders inspire people to go with them on a journey, right? A manager insists that you pursue a certain path or action, right? Leadership develops loyalty, right? Uh, managers really develop kind of this imperative and, and people hold on to their jobs because they have to, not necessarily because they want to, right? And the beautiful thing about this organization is the level of intimacy because it's so small. There's only 50 people here. So we all know each other. We know each other's families. We know each other's uh, stories. And so that level of familiarity really offers up an opportunity to know and appreciate people for who they are as human beings, um, other than just professionals. And so it's been a, a great time for me. You know, it stretched me in terms of learning how to work across different agencies and with a political within a political context, right? There, there are nuances to the work that we do that you wouldn't necessarily have out in the real world, right? Or the private sector. Uh, and so that's really challenging. My chief of staff says, if you can figure out how to do something in government, you can do it anywhere, right? And I am now a firm believer in that, having been on both sides uh, of the workforce, that the challenges you have here aren't always clear, right? Um, they can change, given the facts on the ground. They could change, uh, given who might be sitting in a seat, right, as an elected official. There are all of these calculations that you're constantly doing to figure out how to make your way towards success. So I ended up this in this seat by um, accident, uh, but it's presented just so many opportunities uh, for growth for me personally. Gotcha. That's excellent. Um, we have uh, our, our folks that follow us are pretty much nationwide, and I'm always a big proponent of uh, D.C., even though I'm back and forth between D.C. and Philly. So they not, may not be familiar with HFA in, uh, specifically, but can you uh, talk about HFA and its uh, mission for those who aren't aware? Yeah, so HFA stands for Housing Finance Agency, and every state has a uh, HFA, right? And its primary purpose um, is to allocate tax-exempt bonds uh, and low-income housing tax credits uh, on the 4% side. Now, each state may also have some other powers uh, and things that they do. Uh, here in the district, we have three lines of business. We have a multifamily business, right? And we do about $300 million every year in tax-exempt bond allocations, right? And if you say that debt is a third of that capital stack, that equals about a billion dollars in production, right? And that's usually somewhere between 1,500 to 2,000 units each year that we finance and then about 1,500 to 2,000 units that come online 
from the pipeline. Uh, we have a single family program and effectively uh, we finance or we will provide liquidity to the market for loans that they bring back to us that meet certain requirements, right? Uh, and then we have uniquely, uh, we're not the only one, but we're one of a handful taking money off of our balance sheet to co-invest with emerging developers, um, folks who don't typically have access to capital to produce some for sale housing uh, right now. In other jurisdictions, HFAs will also allocate the 9% tax credit, right? Um, that's used with conventional or taxable debt. Uh, and they'll also administer some of the HUD housing programs. We don't do any of that. So that, that still remains with DACD. We strictly administer the 4% tax credits uh, and the tax exempt bonds. So we've got a very narrow lane uh, with some home ownership uh, as well. Got it. On that note, is there another city that you admire from a housing policy standpoint? You know, I'm I'm not one who has any uh, lack of affection for uh, my my ego or my my way of doing things, and so I feel like we're a leader in the space, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there are some places that we looked at, like Colorado, New York City, Massachusetts, uh, California, but all those places are much bigger than we are, right? And so I like to think that we punch above our fighting weight. Uh, and are able to do some things that some of our peers are not. Uh, and we're constantly seeking to innovate uh, to have a greater impact, right? So we've got some natural limits by our size. The resources that we get are based on a per capita allocation, right? Based on our, our population. So we're relatively small. We get the same amount of resources as places like uh, Wyoming and, and uh, Idaho folks that are states that have very low populations, right? Uh, but we are actually more dense in some instances than those places and we have different housing needs. And so the requirements for us, also with our cost uh, structures are much, our constraints are much higher than they are in other places where things are a lot cheaper and that small allocation can go a lot further. So I find that um, the things that we talk about and the approaches that we are taking to solving our problems are actually pretty um, pretty advanced and ahead of the market. Gotcha. I know most of uh, the folks that are familiar with you, and, and I know I certainly am as well, has been on the, the LIHTC side and the multifamily rental. You did mention that you all have a, a for sale element as well, and I guess a program for emerging developers with respect to for sale. I, I think a lot of people don't know about that. Could you kind of speak to that a little bit? Yeah, no, it's something that we've been doing, I'd say over the last uh, four or five years. And so effectively what we've done is we created a program, it's called our HIP program, our housing investment platform. And that platform is open to emerging developers and it was created to do a couple of things. Number one, it was created to uh, provide the housing for the missing middle. So folks between you know, that 60 to 120% of AMI, what we found is a lot of those folks, long-term district residents, you know, kids coming back from college are being displaced, particularly as a district becomes more and more desirable for people to be in. And so there are not places for them to buy and live and be able to stay here. So that was number one. Number two, um, it was the opportunity uh, to provide access to capital for developers who typically couldn't get capital, right? Like they had 
no ability to access it. When they did access it, it was really um, very expensive capital. And so by giving them that capital, allowing them to build that muscle uh, of being a fiduciary, it would then put them in a position down the road um, where they can act more um, independently and, and access different forms of capital. And then finally, it was an opportunity to help these residents who were going to be able to stay uh, in the city to develop and to begin to build wealth, right? Uh, being a homeowner does not mean you're wealthy. Being a homeowner means that you have an asset, and then over time, you develop equity in that asset, and that begins to anchor you and your family and to provide other opportunities, right? One of which may be um, at the end of your own journey to pass that on as an asset to the next generation so that they have a platform. We created this platform and we structured it such that the agency would put in 80% of the equity and the developer would put in 20%. Once we hit a single digit return hurdle, the economics would flip 80% to the developer and 20% to us. We did this because at the end of the day, we were asking those developers to cap the sales price Right, so that folks between 60 to 120% could still afford to buy them. <clears throat> and um, what's happened is not only uh, has it been really successful in terms, pardon me, uh, of the home selling, but it also mitigated a lot of risk for the developers because instead of, you know, we, we had one of our most prolific developers used to develop all along 16th Street along the Gold Coast here. Uh, in the district and built million dollar, $2 million homes was in the Washingtonian and the Washington Post. We brought that same level of quality and care and attention to detail down to the workforce level, right? So these units have flown off the shelf when he's delivered them and really developed a following for that product. What we were able to do in that particular scenario is he would have to put all of his marbles into that one project. And so if that million, $2 million home didn't fly off the shelf, he was stuck, right? Whereas here, if you invest a fraction of that, right, you've got five lots that you're producing, you can break even in that second or third lot, right, and have little exposure so that if things go wrong, you're still okay, right, and you can continue to move forward. Now, he's done two or three of those reps. He could go to a mid-tier private equity firm, talk about the portfolio of work that he's been able to pull off in partnership with us, and have access to capital at a much higher level, right? But at much better terms because he's now got a track record of success. So on the other side, in terms of the people, we've had buyers on Marshall Heights that were, uh, it was an ANC member and his wife who was a school teacher and they had two little children. One was a toddler and one was in the baby seat, right? And they were gonna end up being able to buy in their community, remain in their community for another generation begin to develop wealth in their homes, right? And it really to be a transformational experience, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that we're doing with this HIP program, which is really exciting to me, right? We're able to anchor and stabilize and help these communities kind of flourish. I've been talking about helping um, this uh, home builder. Can you talk more about how the HFA supporting CBEs as well? Yeah, so <clears throat> we try to get really intentional. Uh, if, you, if you heard me speak before, you know that that's a word that's really important to me. And not intentions, which are now, right? But intentional, which is a way of acting, meaning we're very, we want to be very deliberate with our resources. So we've got our HIP program. 
what we're also doing is uh, in bond and credit deals, requiring that there be uh, participation uh, from true CBEs, not just on the services side, right? But also on, um, on the ownership side. So it's not, you know, you make fees and you go away, but again, building capacity. So if you're gonna come in, if you're gonna use some of our resources, you're actually going to have to reinvest them um, and, and folks who are in the community so they, they have a chance to be successful. Got it. As we start winding down, and, and um, appreciate you going through your personal journey. If you were able to uh, do it all over again, was there anything different you would do, either professionally or business? That's a great question, and I, I want to be thoughtful about that. I don't want to say the cliche thing is, no, there's not anything that I would ever change, right? Uh, and I certainly don't feel like I would revamp um, my my path. I think for me, I, I was and I am a seeker, right? I am stimulated by asking questions and seeing where those questions lead me. I think the most powerful thing or a piece of advice that I would give anybody a young person is the most effective question that you can ask in any environment is why, right? Don't be afraid to not know and be ignorant, right? I've found so much success in terms of sitting in a room with a whole bunch of people who know more than I do and listening and then saying, why? How does that work? Why is that important? Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? And if you talk to people when I started, they were probably like, I was a real pain in the butt because I wouldn't <laughs> let I wouldn't let the basics walk, right? I'd be like, well, why do we have to do it that way? Uh, particularly as I got in the room with GCs and we were having construction meetings and we were doing draws. I was just like, well, why? Why does an HVAC system have to be installed at this point in the process? Which is something very basic. If you work in construction, you understand, but I didn't know. But I also didn't mind being ignorant. And I also understood that I was in the, in the position where we were signing the checks so that people had to answer those questions, right? So that, that would be the first thing. The second thing that a mentor of mine told me, and this is just, this is for whomever, this may not apply to everybody, but if you wanna understand how something works, follow the money, right? If you understand the financing of anything, you can understand the business, where the pinch points are and how to get something done, right? So those would be the two things. Always be intellectually curious, right? Never think that you know everything. And second, understand your business or the flow of capital in your business. If you understand the flow of capital in your business, you will be light years ahead of even some people who have been doing that for decades and decades because you understand how to make things happen. Wow. Chris, for last thought, um, where do you see the district in the next five years? Uh, so the district is really in a unique place. Um, COVID was really challenging in a lot of ways, but in the district, there was a moment, at least as it relates to affordable housing, where there were significant resources deployed to allow us to do some incredible things. So over the last couple of years, the mayor has invested almost a billion dollars in affordable housing subsidy, right? Which is huge and on a per capita basis smokes everybody around the country, right? Uh, and so we have a pipeline that could easily go, if nothing else happens, uh, over the next three or four years, we will be busy through 2025, probably in 26, 27. So from a business perspective, I'm really excited about it. There's a real opportunity to continue to have an impact and make a difference in the community. 
in addition to continuing to build out our platform uh, to help grow these communities, to provide uh, affordable housing or affordable home ownership, to retain long-term uh, residents in the district. And then we're working on some cool stuff around single family mortgages uh, and a program called the Special Purpose Credit Program, uh, which will allow us to design a product to reach more people who have historically not been able to access the capital markets specifically as it relates to mortgages, right? Uh, so we wanna continue to be innovative. Like I'm very uh, upbeat about the district and then the market itself is doing some incredible stuff as well. You know, we have our challenges just like anywhere else, but in the business of real estate and housing specifically, I'm, I'm super excited about what we have an opportunity to do over the next five years. It won't be easy, but you know, th there's work to be done. Got it. Well, certainly appreciate your time, uh, Chris, for stopping by and, and talking to us at the shop. Um, I get questions a lot of times from folks outside of DC because they know that I you know, touch DC as well. And you're right, there's no other place in the country that has those type of resources and, and a mayor who's hung her hat on that, which- uh, Absolutely, I, I absolutely. Yeah, I see is the big difference. So once again, thanks for stopping by and uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing you down the road. All right, it's great to see you guys. Thanks for the opportunity. Sure, thanks, take care now. Thanks, Alana. Thanks, Emory. Another day at the shop. Content they can't. <laughs>